You're listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you by the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. Welcome to the Transformative Podcast with me, Rosamund Johnston. In this, our second ever episode, we're joined by historian Michal Kopicek. Michal's based between Prague and Jena, where he's a director of the Imre Kertes College. Over the past two decades, he's specialised in and published extensively on political thought in 20th century East Central Europe. Today, you'll get a sneak peek of his current research into the legacies of dissidents in the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary and Poland. Michal, hello and thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. First of all, can we talk a bit about how important you believe distance actually were in shaping the political thought in this region that we're discussing in 1970s and 80s, which is the beginning of the time frame that you're analysing, and then after the revolutions in the region in 1989? They were important uh, since they formulated a uh, counterposition to autocratic rule that was based on human rights uh, doctrine. And they also uh, formulated a strategy of criticism of the dictatorship that was uh, nonviolent, that was dialogical, uh, and at the same time was confrontational. And in this way, I think that we could see dissident uh, movements in the region globally as a part of uh, the best tradition of 20th century uh, democratization and civil rights movement. And this is then of lesser importance, so to say, whether the dissidents were in the end part of, uh, let's say, thousand, if not million protest movement, or uh, whether there were only hundreds or even tens of the dissidents. Now, after 1989, uh, the former dissidents in East Central Europe were immensely important. So the symbolic language and identity narratives of the post-1989 democracy was stamped by what I call a legacy of dissidents, and this is actually what I am trying to describe in my work. In your research in this current project, you're focusing on the so-called Visegrad countries, which I should state are the Czech Republic or Czechia in its new form, Slovakia, Poland and Hungary. Um, Are you finding trends that characterise this region as a whole? And are there, on the contrary, actually rather important differences that we should bear in mind when looking at the fates of each of these states? I would not like to uh, essentialize in any way the Visegrad region. It's also quite an uh, accidental name that comes only from the 1990s. And I think that there is nothing really sort of intrinsically special uh, that would differentiate these countries from other countries in Central and Eastern Europe. But this is a good set uh, for comparison exactly because there is a lot of things that these countries have in common, but there are also differences. They have very uh, sort of similar development of human rights-based opposition in a post-Helsinki, post-1975 period. And and as such, this was always uh, described. But we see also quite interesting differences. For instance, in the Czech case, we see a something that I would call a preponderance of, say, liberal bourgeois or nation, liberal nationalist uh, sort of element in the uh, in the opposition. Uh, in contrast, in Poland, but also in Slovakia, you see very strong religious dissident and post-dissident tradition that is uh, visible even nowadays. And the the religious versus secular cleavage plays uh, an important role in these countries uh, in nowadays politics. 
Whereas in, in Hungary, you see a very strong cleavage between the Budapest-based urban intelligentsia and the sort of countryside-based uh, or non-Budapest-based sort of national uh, intelligentsia. And this is a cleavage that you see already in the 1980s opposition. That Actually, this is a cleavage you see throughout the 20th century uh, Hungary, uh, and that plays uh, indeed an important role uh, nowadays. Now, you see the same or similar cleavage also in Poland uh, or in, in, in Czechoslovakia, like, you know, cities versus countryside. But there, it never led to the same kind of uh, political cleavage that you see in Hungary. So, I mean, therefore, the, the region is interesting. A lot of commonalities, but also a lot of differences. It sounds like the first kind of fruits of your research are pointing towards two hegemonic or at least very predominant political narratives which have emerged through this legacy of dissidence. So one, you stated, was a kind of national conservative narrative. And then on the other hand, a liberal democratic political idea. And you've argued, I think very convincingly, that uh, both of these have important dissident heritage. But of course, I'm talking to you right now, you're sitting in the United Kingdom where national conservative and liberal democratic ideas are also central to ongoing culture wars. So I wondered how you might explain the presence of similar political narratives in places like the United Kingdom, which don't have this dissident past. Every political culture necessarily is sustained from both the, let's say, local uh, political and cultural traditions and more global or European, uh, if you want, developments. You have a different morphology of culture wars in the US, you have different morphology in the UK or in Italy, uh, and also in East Central Europe. And here, obviously, the communist and other authoritarian past, as much as the sort of like the way how they came out of this past, the liberal transformation uh, period really uh, matters uh, for the content of the culture wars. Now, I don't think that the uh, dissident legacies shaped uh, very much, uh, so to say, a broader European political discourse beyond the countries that we are speaking about. But uh, what is uh, striking here in the region that uh, here some of the processes that we are following everywhere uh, have much more radical form. If I can put it schematically, East, Eastern Europe, like post-communist Eastern Europe, was serving as a laboratory of liberal transition. And nowadays, it seems it also serves as a laboratory of liberal transition discontents or criticism, right? And the more so that, obviously, you know, institutionally, liberal democracy is much less rooted here for obvious reasons than in some of the Western countries. At the same time, I would like to stress that liberal democracy and democratic politics and democratic thought uh, in these countries have very interesting uh, and long history. And uh, I really believe that these countries are definitely not bound to uh, live in, let's say, authoritarian political regimes, as some of the pessimistic commentators or journalists would maybe claim today. So I'm, I'm more on the optimistic side, cautiously, so <clears throat> maybe in the long run, let's say. You have argued in this project that there was nothing predetermined or sort of natural in a way about the dissident narratives that came to shape post-1989 political thought in the region. So I wondered if you can perhaps illustrate this point by telling us a little bit about some of the less, in quotation marks, successful uh, dissident ideas which kind of fell by the wayside. And then, of course, interesting for me is your personal thoughts as a researcher. You know, are you particularly sad about any of these ideas being confined to the dustbin of history. Only very few dissidents before 1989 would be happy if you put the liberal label on them, right? And of course, you had 
groups of people, especially among the artists that I call a cultural liberal, such as, you know, Václav Havel or Gerd Konrad and, and, and many others. But next to them in the dissident movement, you had a lot of a variety of sort of political and ideological uh, positions from radical uh, Democrats, um, often and, and di- socialists of all different kinds, including Marxists, even though Marxism was not in fashion in 1980s anymore. You have a different conservatives from national, traditional, uh, modern, etc. And the, a lot of this variety has been indeed uh, buried uh, in the what I call the post-dissident liberal interpretation of dissidents that prevailed after 1989, and that is sometimes telling a somewhat one-dimensional story of the struggle for human rights and democratic uh, freedoms against communism. And in this story. The other important issues, and, and you asked about these, I mean, uh, get, you know, lost issues such as, you know, ideas and practices of participative democracy, which was a part of a dissident life, right? The uh, ideas and practices of communal solidarity that went across the ideological uh, uh, and political cleavages in uh, among the dissidents. Uh, but also the sometimes very fierce uh, discussions concerning collective identities and national histories or uh, maybe also interpretation of some of the most controversial events in modern and recent history, like, I don't know, in 1968. I mean, this, I mean there was a lot of discussions around like how to interpret 1968 in the region and in, and in Europe. And all these uh, discussions and practices and ideas are uh, not necessarily a part of, let's say, broader public uh, memory of dissidents. And, and here I see the, 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 the task of us researchers to, to, to bring out this to the light. Uh, so what I want to do as a researcher is to do two things. Uh, first, to show how the dissident legacy has been formed and deformed in the political cultural contest uh, during the transition uh, period and why uh, it was sort of formed and deformed in such a way. And second, indeed, to show also the variety uh, of uh, dissidents, uh, because after all, the history of dissidents will remain to be an important reservoir of democratic ideas and practices. There are very few such a strong democratic chapters in the histories of these uh, countries. So, you know, dissidents will remain to be a treasure trove of democratic uh, ideas, of democratic imagination, but also an example of social and human rights activism uh, that is here for generations to come. And we, we, we should really, uh, we should not abandon this treasure trove. All right. Thank you very much, Michal Kopicek. Thank you very much. It was nice to be with you. All right. And it's goodbye from me, Rosamund Johnston. Join us next time for a talk with political scientist Dorothy Buller. You have been listening to the Transformative Podcast produced by Red Set in Vienna. Oh, <laughs>